Welcome to the 34, Welcome to the 34 Circe Salon. We journey from the ancient world to the cosmos. Take the adventure. Take the adventure with us. With us. With us. With us. With us. With us. And welcome everyone to the 34 Circe Salon. This is the Parallax Channel. I am Sean Marlon Newcomb. And we are going to be starting our newest series on the on the Odyssey. This is Classical Studies 101, as we call it. We went through all the chapters of the Iliad. And now, just very excited to do this. We're going to explore the Odyssey. And who better to guide us through this exploration than the one, the only... Dr. Gary Stickle. Welcome, Gary. Hi. Before we get going, I just want to remind you that if you're listening to this on a particular podcast platform that allows you to leave comments or to leave ratings, this is a good uh, time to um, just give us a nice star or a like or a thumbs up, whatever it is on your rating system, and maybe leave a lovely set of comments um, to help more people find this. Uh, again, they're going to do the Odyssey, and this is a great story, and I'd love to share this far and wide. So, Gary, why don't you start us off? Um, we did a little intro to the Odyssey on our uh, earlier podcast, so why don't you tell us about Chapter 1? Uh, how does the story begin? Well, uh Great to be back with you, and uh, great to start the uh, the Odyssey after we uh, finished up the Iliad, all all twenty four chapters of the Iliad. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, <clears throat> it's, and it's just—I think we both agree—it's the—it's an exciting, fun, colorful work. Uh, absolutely, and just like I said, the Iliad is the greatest story of war ever written. I think the Odyssey's uh, the greatest. Uh, action adventure story ever written, the most inspirational mm -hmm. one. Mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> because, uh, you know, you have an entire places like Ithaca, New York, and Homer, Alaska, and so on. Uh, even names like the, uh, you know, the, the sports hero Troy Aikman, mm -hmm. name of Troy and all that sort of thing. <clears throat> and then the Odyssey is just... Uh, really replete in our culture. When you speak of a person's odyssey, it means their journey through their life. <clears throat> and as I keep saying, um, as in the odyssey, we're all born, we all go out on the sea of life, so to speak. <clears throat> we all meet up with our gods and monsters, and we all come home again one way or the other. Right. And it's 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 it just permeates our culture, all these different terms. People know who Cyclops, what a Cyclops is, what a siren is, of get an odyssey being a journey like that, all the great myths and legends. And so it's um it's just brilliant and amazing. So uh, start us off. Well I just want to say uh, one more thing is it's uh, sure a couple more comments. Um you know, Honda has an Odyssey car, uh, and uh, and then get this. Um, you know, there's been this movement to eliminate uh, Homer and other classic works <clears throat> from schools and not let children hear these great stories, these inspirational stories, and uh, you know, cancel culture, whatever you want to call it, right? 
Um, and uh, well, it's 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 manifestly silly to take this great work and say you know, Homer, who particularly we saw in the Iliad, uh, as a very humane approach as a writer, and so there's a great deal of depth, humanity, understanding, and empathy in Homer's writing, uh, and the things that are quote-unquote negative, and there are things that are negative in human life when you're talking about warfare and combat and deceit. And, the, and to show them in writing isn't to promote them. It's to simply display what life is like, and in particular what life was like for someone in this era. So the yes. whole controversy is a non-controversy. Well, as I recently read to you a critique where uh, uh, this guy was saying that uh, the Odyssey is just full of bad things and everything. It's nonsense. It's full of uh, great things and uh, inspirational things. And as I uh, mentioned to you before, uh, I recently found out the National Theater in uh, England is, uh, you know, retelling the Odyssey. They have their own version of the Odyssey play as, as I have my own. Uh, my own version, uh, uh, to brag on myself here, I guess, the uh, Senate of California gave me outstanding awards for the play for both writing and directing. And uh, I performed it uh, about four or five years ago. The city of LA had the Odyssey project with me and had me take the play to various libraries around the city of LA. And then we wound up at the great central library, the Mark Taper theater, beautiful theater and had our uh, finale there. Anyhow, the, the um, National Theater of England is doing the four cities, and then they're going to do the last performance at London's Olivier stage, named after Lawrence Olivier, the great actor, you know. And uh, and the story I got talks about why they're doing this. And they said, quote, but this is a story of endurance, resilience, of overcoming trial upon trial, and of hope finding a way of keeping going. In the context of the past two years, meaning with COVID, this is pertinent uh, thing to explore, and it certainly is. And uh, So again, we can it, see how, how it's still still present, still mm-hmm. present in culture thousands of years on, 3,000 years on, um, still relevant. And then uh, just one more comment on its influence. There's actually a music network called Odyssey, uh, but I think it's spelled uh, as an audio. But they uh, mm-hmm. obviously, you know, uh, make it sound like Odyssey, you know, with an O instead of an A-U-D. <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's in so many aspects. It's everywhere and in so many different aspects of um, <laughs> it's popular really, culture. Yeah. All, all the things that we've, you know, the, the literature that we've received, the works of art that we received, and just in everyday life. So, it's just, it's just incredibly pervasive. And uh, as, as we said with the Iliad, uh, most scholars think that Homer, you know, wrote down the uh, Iliad Odyssey about seven, eight hundred BC. And so, this story in a written form is almost three thousand years old. So anyhow, um, I'm going to read from uh, a translation by Robert Fagels of the Odyssey. And uh, it may not always be accurate, as, as I'll indicate, but it certainly is, is very readable. And uh, 
and he has <clears throat> chapter titles. And the first chapter we call book one. And by the way, they call them books because they think they might have been separate scrolls. So there might have been 24 scrolls in ancient Greece that they would have to read to uh, read all the Odyssey uh, completely. And so he entitles uh, book one or chapter one, Athena Inspires the Prince. Now, what's interesting about this is whereas the uh, Iliad is linear, even though it just uh, last few weeks of the Trojan War, but it's still linear. The Odyssey isn't. It's like a modern movie that has flashbacks, you know, going back to earlier points in the story and stuff like that. And it's interesting to point that out because, again, talking about the importance of Homer is the idea of as just as a storyteller, story constructs, the way he is able to convey his narrative. And in this case, this is a, a usage we think of as being particularly modern, but it's obviously millennia old. You know, he's telling the story, he's the current and then flashback. And then you go, you know, you're not doing it in any kind of a linear order, which is a, a really complicated and an interesting, lively way of telling a story. Uh, absolutely. And so what I'm going to do is read what's called the proem. It's the introduction to the, uh, Odyssey and to the chapter. And this is uh, Fagel's translation. Sing to me of the man, Muse, the man of twists and turns, driven time and again off course, once he had plundered the hollowed heights of Troy. Many cities of men he saw and learned their minds, many pains he suffered, heartsick on the open sea, fighting to save his life and bring his comrades home. But he could not save them from disaster, hard as he strove. The recklessness of their own ways destroyed them all, the blind fools. They devoured the cattle of the sun and of the sun god, and the sun god was Helios. Uh, I've read mythologies where they say Apollo is the sun god. No, he was a god of light, but not of the sun. That was Helios. Uh, So the sun god blotted out the day of their return. Launch out on a story, muse, daughter of Zeus. Start from where you will and sing for our time too. And so those take up 10 lines in the story. And 10 is the sacred numbers. I keep saying, I, I think I discovered this sacred symbolic number system in the uh, mm-hmm. Iliad and the Odyssey. So I think it's no mistake that that proem is 10 lines long. And the proem gives us this uh, a picture of what uh, I love. I mean, I, I particularly love it because it's it's the first of all, I like the invocation of the goddess of the muse, uh, and also the way he's described the man of many resources. There's a lot of different ways we've talked about that uh, Odysseus described the man of twists and turns of many resources, the clever man. Uh, the wily man. There's all sorts of different ways, but it all points to his his quick wit, his strong intellect, uh, and his ability to figure ways out of problems. Now, there's a recent translation which uh, translates the word polytropos as as uh, uh, you know uh, what did you say recently? A man of uh, Twists and turns, many no. resources. Resources. Wiles. Uh, yeah. They, they, they uh, translate, translate as resources. Poly means many. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, and the, the standard translation 
that I found is twists and turns, which makes a lot mm-hmm. of sense. Right. And then he and just, it's uh, more picturesque, actually. So, but yes, yeah, more picturesque. And he goes on to talk about you know how he escaped wars and waves. His phrases like that, that I think are beautiful in Homer. Mm-hmm. But anyhow, the story starts off um, uh, when he's on the island of Calypso. And Calypso is, is a, a minor goddess, and she actually keeps Odysseus as a love slave for seven years, another another sacred number, by the way. And so uh, translation goes, uh, but meaning Odysseus, he had his heart set on his wife and his return. Calypso, the bewitching nymph, the lustrous goddess, held him back deep in her arching caverns, craving him for a husband. And uh, she actually uh, offers him to become immortal, the gift of the gods, and he turns her down because he loves Penelope, his wife and queen, and wants to get back to her. And just to really point out, the, the, the through line of this whole work is Odysseus trying to get back home. He's had 10 years in war, uh, in the Trojan War, and now he's going to take what we know will be 10 years to get back home, but it's his journey back homeward to Penelope, to his wife. Uh, absolutely. He absolutely loves her, even though he does have these sexual tr- trysts with uh, her and uh, the witch goddess, you know, Circe. And, uh, you know, your, uh, your, your podcast system is named after Circe, right? Indeed, indeed. It's 34 Circe. That's exactly it. In fact, the company itself, because of this idea that we wanted to convey the magic, use the creation, and particularly to highlight the stories of women. Um, it's what, Also, it's good to point out that he, he, the trysts he has, I think, to, to be fairly put, um, we would hold more against him, but it, it, he's being held by a goddess. So he's a mortal man. He doesn't have any real power against her. Right, uh, and, and, and he so doesn't it's have a, a very boat. different kind of situation. Yeah, he doesn't have a boat, so he can't get off. Or his boat was destroyed, and so he can't get off her island without her help. <clears throat> so, yeah, it goes on, and uh, and he talks about um, he wants to reach his home, Ithaca. That's the island, his home island. And uh, as I've been telling you uh, for years, I've been trying to search for the uh, Palace of Odysseus, which is to the Odyssey what the city of Troy is to the Iliad, the main centerpiece. And I may have found it on a Greek island, not the one that Greeks call Ithaca today, because it doesn't match Homer's description, as we're going to find out in the Odyssey here, but on the island of Kefalonia, the westernmost extension, which is a peninsula called Paliki. So uh, wish me luck that I can verify that. Indeed, we're going to all take that journey with you. Uh, and again, the palace for the listener is the was Odysseus's home, and where he's journeying to, where Penelope is. Yes. <clears throat> so, anyhow, uh, Athena is the patron goddess of Odysseus, and so she's going to go to Mount Olympus and <clears throat> and really urge uh, her father Zeus, the king of the gods, to force Calypso to release Odysseus. And uh, so the translation says, and every god took pity, all except Poseidon. Now, Poseidon's a god of the sea. And, Sean, what did the Romans call Poseidon? 
Our old pal Neptune. Right, Neptune. Uh, so he said he raged on, seating against great Odysseus. And the reason he's, uh, you know, hates Odysseus is Odysseus blind, blinded, uh, you know, earlier in his voyage home, the, the giant one-eyed giant, uh, the Cyclops, who was a son of Poseidon. And that's why Poseidon is against Odysseus. Poseidon slash Neptune is a really interesting god, too. We've talked about him on other podcasts. Just his attributes are fascinating. Horses, the sea, earthquakes. I, I think he's one of the most interesting of the gods. I mean, I usually find oh, the yeah. goddesses much more interesting, but the gods, uh, Poseidon is probably the most interesting to me. He's just a fascinating character. Well, he's one of so. the three main gods. You have Zeus who rules the heavens, Poseidon who rules the seas, and Hades who rules the under uh, underground uh, kingdom of the dead, where dead people mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> So anyhow, it goes on here. Uh, the other gods are at, at home and Zeus's halls on Mount Olympus. And when Athena goes there, Zeus is haranguing the other gods about, quote, how shameless the way these mortals blame the gods. Well, since the gods are so duplicitous to mortals, I, I can see why they would blame the gods, right? That's the applause of the mortals for your statement. So anyhow, um, it goes on here, sparkling-eyed Athena says, Father, son of Kronos, meaning Zeus, our high and mighty king, surely he goes down to death, he earned in full. Let them all die too, all those who do such things. But my heart breaks for Odysseus, that seasoned veteran cursed by fate so long, far from his loved ones. He suffers torments on that wave-voiced island in the center of the seas. And uh, people think that her island is, is probably Malta, one of the Maltese islands called Gozo. Mm -hmm. Okay. But uh, anyhow, it's described here as a dark wooded island, and there the goddess makes her home. The daughter, she's a daughter of Atlas, who's a, a titan that holds up the, uh, the heavens. Mm -hmm. And just uh, for the listener, just a quick insight. These locations that uh, Gary's pointing out, it's the fact that there are uh, real-world um, uh, correlates to the places named in the Odyssey itself. So uh, that's one example of it. Uh, and and in a journey that we hope to take to look for the Palace of Odysseus, we will visit these real-world places. So she goes on to tell Zeus that Odysseus is heartsick, and if he can't go, go home, quote, he longs to die. And I think a lot of people have been depressed over COVID. Uh, you know, some with suicidal thoughts can relate to that, you know. Um, and uh, so anyhow, she says, why, Zeus? Why are you so dead set against Odysseus? And then Zeus is, you know, patronizing to his daughter. He says, my child. Zeus, who marshals the thunderheads, replied, what nonsense you let slip through your teeth. Now, how on earth could I forget Odysseus, great Odysseus, who excels all men in wisdom, excels in offerings too. He gives the immortal gods who rule the vaulting skies. No, it is earthshaker Poseidon, forever fuming against him, for the Cyclops, whose giant eye he blinded. 
godlike Polyphemus. That was the name of the Cyclops. And so, anyhow, uh, you know, she just urges him and urges him. And Zeus finally agrees. And so he says, let us dispatch the guide and giant killer Hermes. Now, Hermes is the messenger of, of Zeus in the uh, Odyssey. Uh, and he, he wasn't in the uh, Iliad for some reason, but he, he is in the, uh, in the Odyssey. And who did the Romans call Hermes, John? I'm sorry, I had my little mute on. Mercury, are you uh, yeah, Mercury. referring to our friend Mercury? Right. So, yeah. Well, it's actually, Gary's pointing out the, the Roman and the Greek versions of these gods. And it's uh, because the Romans, great empire that they were, decided to give them their own much better imprint than the Greeks had. Right, Gary? Yeah. Uh, for the <laughs> For the name of these guys, uh, we're, we're always not getting around really. about Greece and not Rome. Really, but we're, we get around about Greece and Rome. But yeah. yes, it's uh, it, it just it's important to remember because oftentimes you might hear the name, but not be as familiar with it as you are with the Roman name that we are oftentimes in our culture more familiar with. Probably because we've Rome bequeathed so much to us more recently, relatively speaking, of course, and more broadly. Than from Greece, uh, although Rome, of course, incorporated a lot of the Greek civilizations, uh, philosophies, ideas, and beliefs. So, anyhow, um, Zeus finally, uh, you know, <clears throat> relents and uh, sends Hermes, and and uh, for some reason, Athena then uh, puts on her su supple sandals, ever glowing gold, that winger over the waves and boundless earth with a rush of gusting winds. She sees the rugged spear, because she's always depicted in armor with a war helmet and spear, uh, tipped with a bronze point. It's interesting that Homer lived in the Iron Age, but he keeps bringing up bronze in the, in these, in the Iliad Odyssey. It's a good point that uh, about the authenticity that you bring up. So she goes down to uh, Odysseus' palace, and she meets up with his son, Telemachus, and she, uh, you know, the gods can transform themselves to look like other people. So she uh, transforms himself into this uh, guy called uh, Mentes, Lord of the uh, Taphians. And so, uh, and then she finds the, uh, quote, swaggering suitors, because uh, three years before, another sacred number, these suitors, 108 of them, which is a product of two uh, sacred numbers, uh, take over the palace because apparently Odysseus didn't leave sufficient guards behind to protect uh, his palace from uh, being taken over by these suitors. The suitors are called that because uh, each one wants to marry Penelope and then have a beautiful wife and a kingdom. That's their motivation. In the meantime, they're eating them out of house and home. Another phrase I think we get from Homer, uh, you know, by their carousing and partying and feasting every day and stuff like that. And so Athena finds them, uh, the swaggering suitors, she calls them, just then amusing himself with rolling dice and so on. And uh, so anyhow, she uh, disguises. Just to, yeah, just to paint the picture a little more clearly, it's the, you know, here's Penelope, her husband's been away, and these guys are gathering around like vultures and run to having a run of the place because Odysseus isn't there. They feel like they can take advantage in a lot of different ways. 
Uh, that, that That's one way to put it, correct? Yes. Mm-hmm. And then first the seer, you know, disguises as Mentes, was Telemachus, and he goes to greet her, and he's uh, gracious to her, you know, unlike the damn suitors, you know? Telemachus, the son. Yes. Yes. Odysseus, the son. And uh, so, anyhow, uh, you know, he complains about the song and dancing, you know, that the suitors are doing and all that sort of thing. And they force a a bard, Phemius, who plays uh, the lyre, and he's forced to sing, and he sings about Odysseus and so on. And um, and then uh, Fagel's mentioned uh, because he's talking. Phemius is talking to uh, the disguised Athena. Dear stranger, would you be shocked by what I say? Look at them over there. Not a care in the world. Just liars and tunes. It's easy for them, all right. They feed on each other's goods and go scot free. Well, that's a bad translation. The Greeks didn't know about the Scots, so scot free is not a proper translation there. But anyhow, mm-hmm. uh, you know, she she gets um, uh, Telemachus to go to Sparta. First to King Nestor, uh, which is down on the Peloponnese south of uh, the island of Ithaca, to search for his father for some reason. I don't know why she does that. And then, uh, and then he goes to Sparta where he met, meets up uh, with Menelaus, who was the brother of uh, Agamemnon, who led the Greeks against the Trojans. And Menelaus, you know, his wife and queen was Helen. Yes. The proverbial white Helen of Troy. And they both meet up with Telemachus, but they say that they haven't heard anything about Odysseus and everything. And uh, so they, they give him a golden cup and send him on his way, you know. Um. So anyhow, um, and then uh, later on, he, he translate all the nobles who rule the islands round about, you know, uh, he, talking about the, uh, the suitors. From the islands round about, Dolichion, Same, Wittizakynthos, and Rocky, Ithaca. This is Telemachus complaining. They lay waste to my house and mother. She neither... Uh, rejects a marriage, despises, and so on. And so uh, Athena responds, you know, shameful, brimming with indignation. Pallas Athena broke out. Oh, how much you need a dish has gone so long. How he'd laid hands on these brazen suitors. If only he would appear now. So anyhow. Um, okay. So, so how do we, so, so essentially this chapter sets up um the goddess, Bothina, his patron, uh, reaching out to the son to keep the belief, the faith alive that the father is out there, yeah. because he is, and to sort of inspire him to stand uh, strong against all of these suitors that are coming around trying to take his father's place and take his mother's hand and that sort of thing. That's right. It's a call, a call to arms to a certain extent to him. How do we, how does the, since we're up at the very end of our of our episode, how does the chapter end? How does the book end? Well, basically, uh, this is uh, prior to him leaving, I believe. He says, Telemachus, uh, off to his bedroom built in the fine courtyard. 
a commanding lofty, lofty room set well apart. And there he meets up with his devoted nurse, bearing a glowing torch, Eurycleia, the daughter of Ops. Laertes uh, had paid a price, so she was a slave. So here Homer's mentioning slavery. Mm-hmm. Um, and it says, and some um, people, and some modern people will say because he mentions that that's a problem. Slavery existed. It is not a. It, it, it was. It was all over the world. It's still in the world yes. today, but it certainly was all over the world. It's, now. it's not meant as an endorsement of it. It's a simply a statement of what was. So I think it's very silly for people to not understand the distinction. Mentioning something isn't endorsing something. It's simply mentioning it. So anyhow, especially when it's a fact. When it's a fact at the time, right? Yes. All right. So anyhow, Homer mentions that Telemachus lays down on his bed, his corded bed, uh, made out of uh, leather cords with, you know, bedding on top of that, and uh, sliding the doorbolt home, lock his room, and there all night long, wrapped in the sheep's warm fleece, he weighed in his mind the course of Athena's uh, charted. The course of Athena charted, meaning to uh, go to uh, King Nestor and then to uh, Sparta, and that's how it ends. That's a one. It is a really nice opening, and it just gives you a, a, a really interesting flavor of what this story will be like. And there, it, it has a it has a dream. I think for me, the Odyssey has a more dreamlike, a much more dreamlike quality than yes. the Iliad does. Yeah, absolutely. The Iliad is a just very straight. Unflowery, ungilded. It's just, it's just straight, direct, and it gives you. It's like a news report in some sense, with with great, of course, amazing poetry in it. But it's, but its sensibility is very direct, whereas the Odyssey is like a dream. So this is going to be a lot of fun. Thank you, thank you very much. Well, Dr. Thank, thank you, Sean. Well, it's been great as always. Thank you. Adoring throng, uh, throng of fans. <laughs> thank um, you, and. Uh, uh, I am Sean Marlinukum. This is the 34 Circe Salon. This has been the Parallax Channel, Classical Studies 101. More to come. Thank you for joining us, and we'll be back again soon. God bless.